All right. So if you guys don't know, this guy's name is Noah. Noah Chislett. Um, he was hanging around here when he was probably like this tall. Um, yeah, he's going to come speak to us today. Um, but I want you to tell me what you are currently doing with yourself. Uh, so at the moment, I'm down in uh, working in Bendigo uh, as, as a health and safety environment manager for a civil construction company. So I just run around sites and kick butts. And Lots of travelling. <laughs> yeah, a lot, of, yeah. a lot of travelling in the job. So I've got doing a lot of work for Gold Murray Water at the moment, yeah. so we're up this way a fair bit. Yeah. What is your favourite thing to do in your free time? Uh, is it bad to say Netflix? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's good to kick back and uh, watch a bit, but uh, no, I do enjoy a bit of four-wheel driving. Did a bit of that last weekend, which is good. Mm. Uh, and a classic hot seat question. Uh, if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh. Uh, well, uh, reading people's minds would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> know, know what all the guys at work are thinking as I'm uh, telling them off. Uh, yeah. All right, one more. Um, You'll like this one. I think mm. you've answered it before. Um, if you could jump into a pool of anything, what oh. would it be? What did I say last time? I, <laughs> um, I do love chocolate milk. Chocolate. I yeah. reckon that's what you yeah, said last time. Yeah. 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 All right, I'll um, leave it to you. Cool. Thank Cheers. you. Hey, good morning, everyone. How are we on this uh, foggy Sunday morning? Awesome, good. It was a drive up from... Uh, Daramox, and it was um, a lot of cars driving at me with no headlights, so it was handy. <laughs> um, awesome to be here, awesome to be uh, involved in the youth service, so cool to see you guys uh, allowing the youth to come in and uh, be engaged. Um, and definitely encourage you to keep investing in the youth, keep allowing these opportunities. Um, I was thinking on the way up here about um, some of the moments in my life that shaped me into the person I am today, and there's actually about, I've spotted three people here uh, that were part of a moment uh, when I was 13th birthday, I think. And Stephen and Michael and Bob were all out there. Um, a bit of an initiation weekend. Um, and that's definitely been one of the biggest moments that's impacted uh, who I've become today. Um, for those of you wondering, I'm Heidi Chislett's son, um, and Earl and Sharon's grandson. So if it might connect a few dots for you. But yeah, I did used to run around up here and um, kick around on the sound desk up there. Um, good to say they finally upgraded that thing. It was uh, <laughs> getting old. It, uh, actually, I was saying to the guys last weekend, I found the, uh, the old manual for that in my room. <laughs> so I, I, I hope you didn't need that. <laughs> so, those of you wondering uh, where I've disappeared to in the last few years, um, so uh, I went up to Swan Hill and started an electrical apprenticeship. Um, I'd got through about two years of that and uh, found out I had a heart condition more serious than I thought. So I actually had surgery uh, to try and fix that up in January. It seems to be working, it's still ticking, um, which is good. Um, and then, so after I found out that, and I hated electrical anyway, uh, I left, left and uh, started a job in the parts department at Swan Hill Truck Service. Um, in that time, I was living on my own in my own house with a couple of housemates uh, from the fire brigade there, but I'd definitely say in that time I didn't have a relationship with Christ. I'd definitely fallen away. And uh, living on your own or living in a house without your parents at that age um, gives you a lot of freedom, probably too much freedom. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and I found myself in that, in that partying, in that drinking stages. Um, and then it came to last year. Um, I got asked to lead on uh, the Easter camp over there at Warwickneville with um, the junior kids there. And um, not sure why I said yes. I was definitely not in the state to be leading a camp, but um, it worked. Um, on the last day, the, the theme for the camp was Case for Christ. A lot of you have seen that movie, and we had um, a judge's stand, and on the last day, we allowed the kids to give the testimonies. And uh, there's an 11-year-old girl um, gave one of the most basic testimonies you'll hear, but it's one that knocked me on my butt. Um, it's, she said it was actually her sister's testimony, and she uh, talked about her sister would go to church on the Sunday and do the Christian thing, but then uh, every other day of the week, it was like she uh, didn't know God. And... As basic as it is, she just said that God doesn't want you one day of the week, he wants you every day of the week and 24-7. On the way home, I had a two-hour drive ahead of me and um, I broke down um, and and just ended up in prayer for a lot of the time. And uh, Leading up to that camp, uh, my mum and my nan had all been uh, saying, you should go to Cape and Ray. Cape and Ray is a we call it bridal school, but it's Bible school up in New South Wales. Um, I didn't actually get a bride from there, but there's a... <laughs> don't know what I was doing wrong, but no, I uh, found, did find a, a girl, and she's actually from back here, and she's, at the moment she's on a, a plane on the way back from uh, India with YWAM, so she couldn't be here, but um, yeah, so uh, um, Cape and Ray kept coming up uh, in my mind, so I texted mum and I said, oh, I want to go to Cape and Ray, and uh, within two weeks, um, I'd quit my job and I was up at Cape and Ray doing um, uh, what they call a taste and see week. So uh, you go up there for a week and you get to be involved with, uh, with the students as if you are a student. Um, and by Tuesday, I'd uh, decided that I wanted to stay. So I was talking to the director about, um, about staying there and I got to stay on for another seven weeks uh, to finish off that term. Came home for uh, six weeks after that um, and then went back. They have a six-week program called the Aussie Road Trip. So you get three teams and you get to go north. Uh, one goes north, one goes south, uh, and one goes into the outback. And I was one of the few Aussies, so I was pretty smart about my choice since it was winter and I went north um, <laughs> up, up along the coast. It was beautiful. Um, but in that time, we got to do some training with an organisation called Dare to Share. So they're uh, an American-based ministry. Um, and they focus on uh, getting youth to share their faith and teaching them different ways. So you hear a little bit more about that um, as I speak. But um, yeah, so went up there, did the training. I even got baptised up there in the beach, which was pretty cool. Um, and yeah, and I've come back and, as I said, I was working in uh, civil construction at the moment. So uh, I didn't come here to talk about myself, though. So um, I'll just pray and uh, we'll get into it. Hey God, we just, uh, we just thank you that we can come here today and we, li- we just thank you that we live in a, uh, a country where we can freely come and not worry about um, what's outside the door. And we just, uh, just pray today is, um, yeah, as we hear your word, Lord, that it'll be you speaking and uh, it won't be my words, Lord, and that you'll be opening the eyes and ears and hearts, Lord, of uh, the people that need to hear this, Lord. So, Father, we thank you, we praise you and we love you. In your name, amen. Hey, uh, three weeks ago... Um, I was up at Bendigo Baptist Church, and we had a speaker by the name of uh, Willie Green, um, and he's an ex-NFL player over in the States, um, and he's doing a lot of speaking now. And he told us a story, and it stuck with me um, 
for the past few weeks trying to think of what to, what to talk about here, and I'd, I'd like to share that with you guys. But um, he talked about a guy named John Griffith, and some, got, some of you might know who John Griffith is. Um, he was back in the 19, or the stories about the 1920s, 1930s. Um, and John, John was a successful uh, businessman. He had his own, own uh, company and he had his own, um, yeah, had his own uh, everything he needed. But John still felt like there was something missing out of his life. So he, uh, he did what most men would do and they uh, go and uh, find a wife. So he, uh, he found a wife and they uh, tried to start a family. So a uh, month went by and still not pregnant and a couple of months by and still nothing. Um, they went by six months, a year. Still, still not pregnant. Two years, no. Three years, nothing. Four years, zilch. Got to ten years and in that tenth year was the year of the Great Depression. And unlike a lot of people who were depressed and suiciding and, and just running away from life, John was over the moon and really happy because John's wife just got pregnant. So they had, to, they had their son, um, and their son's name was Greg. Um, and that, that was an initiative for John to bounce back and, uh, and to not become depressed, but he ju- bounced back and he uh, got a job as a bridge operator. So uh, John's job was to be out on the Mississippi River. He sat in a control room and he, um, he would control the bridge and let the boats go under and then it had come back down and every day at lunchtime the Memphis Express had come across. And uh, he got good at his job and time went by. He was becoming a part owner um, and he, he got to eight years and was doing really well and he, his son Greg was now eight years old. So he decided uh, that he would bring his son to work each day and uh, their mum would pack a lunch and every lunchtime they'd, uh, they'd raise the bridge and let the boats go under and they'd sit down and have a lunch there and get talking. And John would be asking, uh, oh, Dad, what's that boat? Or where's that boat going? Or what's on that? And John would have all the answers. Um, and then one day they got so in-depth in conversation that they lost track of time. And in that, uh, as they lost track of time... John hears in the background the whistle of the train down the road. And so he, uh, he looks at his watch, and sure enough, the, the train's coming. So he, uh, he grabs his son, Greg. He says, stay here. Do not move. I'll be back. And he starts running up. He runs up to the control room there. And um, he's got a process he has to go through um, before he can lower the bridge. So John uh, has to look out on the river, and he sees no, there's no boats going through. That's all clear. He looks down the track and makes sure he still has time for the train to come. And sure enough, the train's still far enough away that he can, uh, he can let the train go through when the bridge is down. And then he has to look down into a big metal gearbox that controls the bridge and lifts the bridge. And you can imagine the size of what that, can, that uh, gearbox is going to be um, for lifting such a bridge. I don't, they have that photo with the story. I don't know how accurate that is. But you imagine a bridge like that raising. Um, so John does his process, he looks down, no boats, all clear, looks down, train's still got, uh, still got time, uh, and then he looks down in the gearbox, and he sees his son. Greg's tried to chase him up, but he's fallen off the uh, stairs and he's slipped into this gearbox, and he's hurt his leg badly, he can't move. So uh, John does what any father would do, and he, uh, he uh, starts running down the stairs and starts going uh, for his son to save his son, but as he's halfway down... A supernatural thought comes over him and he realises, what about the hundreds of people on this train that are about to die if I save my son? And he begins to tear up and he runs back up the stairs and he grabs the lever and he starts his process again. He looks down, 
no boats, looks at the train, I've still got time. And then he looks down at his son. And you can imagine what's going through his head. He's looking and he's thinking, how am I going to save my son and these people? I can't do it. And um, eventually the train's getting too close and he has to, has to do something. So he takes his left arm, and he puts it over his eyes, and he uh, grabs that lever and he uh, pushes it forward. The bridge comes down, click, the train comes across. And it says in the story that he can actually see the people on that train. There's the conductor there looking at his pocket watch. There's a lady sipping tea. There's a kid eating ice cream. And all of them are going past, not knowing that he's just brutally, let his son brutally die for all of them. And they've got no clue. And he yells out and he goes, don't you know what I've done? I've killed my son for you. And you see, that's just... It's so common in life at the moment. You have so many people going past on that train, not realizing that Jesus Christ has just died a brutal death for us so that we can keep living. It's, as I came back from Cape and Ray, um, the people I thought that would heckle me the most for going to a Bible school, the friends I had that were far from Christian, were actually the ones that were most curious. And they've got no idea what the gospel is. They've got no idea why we're Christians. And I found that more and more as I shared about, um, about why I was a Christian and um, about Jesus coming and dying on the cross for us so that we can have eternal life, more and more of them became curious. And it started a ripple effect through my friendship group, and it's been amazing to see how many of them have started coming to know Christ. So the question I bring to you today is how do we reconnect a never-changing truth with an ever-changing world? We find three temptations for a lot of Christians to give up on this ever-changing culture, to force our ever-changing culture to suit our Christian worldview, and to blind our Christ, uh, blend our Christian worldview into current world values. But Jesus didn't fit into any of these three cultures. Acts 2.41 says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Acts 8.12.13 but when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. Both men and women, Simon himself believed and was baptized. He followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Acts 18.8, Christmas, the synagogue leader and his entire household believed in the Lord and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Let's look at what the un- unchanging truth is. What is the gospel? You know, there's so much in the Bible, it contributes to what the gospel is, but yet it's so hard to actually confine it to a few sentences to explain to someone. And we need to be able to outline this clearly when sharing the gospel of what, it is, what the gospel is. So Dare to Share, they, um, they do a lot of video stuff. It's a lot of social media because um, it is reaching out to the youth. And they put together a video a few years ago. I actually saw it. A long time ago, and didn't realize it was anything to do with Dare to Share, but some of you might have seen it. And uh, Chris, if you can play it, that'd be good. Thanks. It's the full story of life crushed into four minutes. The entirety of humanity in the palm of your hand crushed into one sentence. Listen, it's intense, right? God, our sins, paying everyone life. The greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told. God. Yes? God, the maker and giver of life, and by life I mean any and all manner and substance, seen and unseen, what can and can be touched, thoughts, image, emotions, love, atoms, and oceans, God. 
all of it is handiwork, one of which is masterpiece, made so uniquely that angels look curiously. The one thing in creation that was made with his imagery, the concept so cold, it's the reason I stay bold, how God breathed in a man and he became a living soul. Formed with the intent of being infinitely, intimately fond, creator and creation held an eternal bond. And it was placed in perfect paradise till something went wrong. A species got deceived and started lusting for his job and odd list of complaints. As if the system ain't working and used that same breath he graciously gave us to curse him. And that sin seed spread through our soul's genome. And by nature of your nature, your species, you participated in the mutiny. Our, yes. Our sins, its nature inherited, black in the human heart, it was over before it started. Deceived from day one and led away by our own lust. There's not a religion in the world that doesn't agree that something's wrong with us. The question is, what is it and how do we fix it? Are we eternally separated from a God that may or may not have existed? But that's another subject. Let's keep grinding. Besides trying to prove God is like defending a lion, homie. It don't need your help. Just unlock the cage. Let's move on on how our debt can be paid. Short and sweet. The problem is sin. Yes, sin. It's a cancer. An asthma, choking out our life force, forcing separation from a perfect and holy God. And the only way to get back is to get back to perfection. But silly us, trying to pass the course of life without referring to a syllabus. This is us. Keep up your good deeds. Chant, pray, meditate. But all of that, of course, is spraying cologne on a corpse. Or you could choose to ignore it as if something don't stink. It's like stepping in dog poop and refusing to wipe your shoe, but all of that ends with how good is good enough. Take your silly list of good deeds and line them up against perfection. Good luck. That's life past your pay grade. The cost of your soul, you ain't got a big enough piggy bank, but you could give it a shot. But I suggest you throw away the list, because even your good acts are an extension of your selfishness. But here's where it gets interesting. I hope you're closely listening. Please don't get it twisted. It's what makes our faith unique. Here's what God says as part A of the gospel. You can't fix yourself. Quit trying. It's impossible. Sin brings death. Give God his breath back. You owe him. Eternally separated. And the only way to fix it is someone die in your place. And that someone got to be perfect. Or the payment ain't permanent. So if and when you find a perfect person, get him or her to willingly trade their perfection for your sin and death in. Clearly, since the only one that can meet God's criteria is God, God sent himself as Jesus to pay the cost for us. His righteousness. His death functions as payment. Yes, payment. Wrote a check with his life, but at the resurrection we all cheered because that means the check cleared. Pierced feet, pierced hands, blood-stained son of man, fullness, forgiveness, free passage into the promised land. That same breath that God breathed into us, God gave up to redeem us. And anyone and everyone, and by everyone, I mean everyone, who puts their faith and trust in him and him alone can stand in full confidence of God's forgiveness. And here's what the promise is, that you are guaranteed full access to return to perfect unity by simply believing in Christ and Christ alone. You are receiving life.
Yes. Life. This is the gospel. God, our sins, paying everyone life. So as he said there, um, that's the way uh, Dare to Share has uh, narrowed it down and tried to confine it uh, to a few sentences to explain. It's more, we use it for, normally Dare to Share is um, as for the youth. Um, and so I'll go through though. Um, you'll want to remember this because I'll make us all uncomfortable by the end of this service. <laughs> so listen through this <laughs> and it might help you a bit later. So D. God created us to be with him. It's a simple message of why we exist. God brought us onto this earth so that we can be with him, but then, oh, our sins separated us from him. As soon as Adam and Eve took that bite from the apple on the tree of good and evil, sins entered the world, and that separated us from God. S, sins can obviously not be undone by good deeds. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are or what you do and how many things you do for the poor or how much money you donate to a charity. That's not going to get you to heaven. The only way to heaven is through a perfect person coming and dying for our sins and taking all of those sins. So God sent his son to die on the cross for us. Paying the price of sin, Jesus died and rose again. Jesus was sent down, done absolutely nothing wrong, was a perfect person, but he took all our sins in and he died a brutal death just like Greg did to save hundreds, thousands, millions, and billions of people. The simple message is, all you have to do to have that eternal life, to not be separated from God, is to have trust in Him and Him alone. And so many people don't understand that it's that simple. There's obviously more to it, but all you have to do is have trust in Him and Him alone, and you will have salvation. Which brings you to L. Life with Jesus starts now and it lasts forever. There's a guy named Zane Black from Dare to Share and he's a mad skateboarder. He, um, he, there's a story of him going to a skate park one day and there's a, there's a kid there um, and he's loving life but he's on a skateboard but it's upside down. He's sitting on it and he's just spinning the wheels, loving life. And he goes up to the kid and he, he, uh, he says, can I have your board for a second? The kid goes, ooh, yeah, all right. Gives him the board, and, uh, and Zane grabs the board, and he turns it upside down and rides it around. And he shows this kid how he meant to use a skateboard. After that, this kid, the kid gets the, uh, the skateboard, and he's ripping around on it all day. But you compare that to uh, life before and after Jesus. Jesus asks, can I have your life and turn it upside down? And he shows you what life really looks like. There's nothing boring about being a Christian. It's always an adventure and it can be a hilarious adventure. Acts 2.41, it talks about those who accepted his message were, were baptized. Nothing about that message Peter preached is different to the message we receive today. Is there anything stopping you from sharing the message of the gospel with people around you, with your friends and with your family that don't know Christ? The power isn't in the presentation of how you give it to them. It's in the power of the gospel and in Jesus Christ. There's a secret ingredient to, uh, to all of this, and it, it's uh, in John 12, 24, and it's dying to ourselves and coming alive in Jesus Christ. 
If a seed doesn't die to itself, it remains alone. If we die to ourselves, we'll see so many more seeds produced. As Jesus died, he brought life. And the book of Acts is a description of this. Now we go through Acts and you can find about seven uh, Christ-centered Holy Spirit values. And they're great values uh, to base not only your life around, but the church and your youth group and every organization you're involved in. Seven values. The first one is intercessory prayer fuels it. It fuels the ministry we're involved in. Intercessory prayer, it functions like a clutch. It's not about the words, but it's what's engaging the power. It's praying into a situation, praying for other people and not yourself. John 17, 21. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What would happen if we prayed for three of our non-Christian friends relentlessly till they're saved? Second one's relational evangelism drives it. Romans 10.14, it says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? It's simple. So many people don't know the gospel. They've never heard it before. And as I said before, I came back thinking, everyone knows what it is. They just don't want it. They don't want to be Christian. They don't want to be around someone who's Christian. But when they see someone else and you come alongside them and just be a friend to them, they, they see Christ through you and they go, oh, I want that. I want what that person's got. Be a friend. Be encouraging. As a church, we're not on the offensive, but we're on the defensive. We need to be motivated out of the compassion for the lost. The third one's leaders fully embrace and model it. Matthew 14, the whole chapter, talks about Jesus letting people be involved in his journey. If you really want to know somebody, ask to see their bank statement and their calendar. I dare you. Don't. <laughs> Some people get a bit offended by that. Um, but that's what people are like when no one's around. You know, we need to live our life privately as we do publicly. I've seen it in more and more youth, uh, youth-based things that you've got youth looking up to you, and when they see you doing, uh, doing good and and sharing the gospel and preaching and just getting around people, they love it. But when they see you out and drinking and uh, getting smashed and and doing things, they go, "Oh, so we can do that?" Okay. But leaders are anyone who has people following them. And leaders that's leaders in the church, that's leaders in youth group, that's leaders in your workplace, that's leaders at home. Embrace and model that accountability. Next one's discipleship multiplication strategy guides it. So discipleship, it's at the heart of the church. There's a, um, there's a book on the four-chair discipleship strategy, which goes through four different people. There's the non-believer the believer and the worker and the disciple maker. The non-believer is obviously the person who doesn't know Christ yet. Yet. The second one's the believer. It's the comfortable chair, the easy chair. And it's a lot about taking, in, taking it all in and uh, learning more about your faith. Uh, and it, you can become spiritually fat. It's, uh, you take in all this information, but you don't do anything with it. The next one's the worker. It's the fun chair. It's the good chair. It's, uh, it's 
You'd love doing it. It's the active and energetic person in the church, the one that's out there packing up chairs or setting things up or here at uh, 8.30 instead of 9. <laughs> Unless it's Darren, then it's 9.30. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worker. Uh, so that's the worker. But then, the, <laughs> then there's the fourth one, the disciple maker or the person making disciple makers. It's the multiplication where the person they lead to the Lord is now leading other peoples to God. It's that ripple effect you create. You share that gospel with someone, they accept Christ, they go out and share that gospel. Then you go do it to another person and they share it with another person. And you think of how easy it can branch out in our lives and in our communities. And it's uh, making disciples and disciple makers. The desire of that person is seeing other people grow. The next one's bold visions, focus it. Do you have a vision that's so ridiculous that it's almost impossible unless God is involved? You can be doing a lot without being effective. Are you seeing disciples being made? It, it brings you into alignment what we're really here to do. We need to have a vision that we to know what we're running to. It needs to be bold, it should be big, and if you can achieve it without Christ, it's not big enough. Next one's biblical outcomes measure it. There's three B's of success, and that's used in the church, a lot of churches, but they're bad measuring. And that is buildings, budgets, and butts on seats. <laughs> we should be measuring conversion growth, measuring how many people are being baptized, disciples that are discipling others, Christians who are walking in freedom from habitual sins. And the last one, the seventh one, is program priorities. Knowing what our priorities are and then putting them into our programs. We can see our priorities by what we're programming. Our desire to do this is only achievable through Christ. It takes Christ to be, become a Christian. It takes Christ to behave like a Christian. And it takes Christ to bring about a Christian movement. If nothing else, let's die to ourselves and come alive in Jesus Christ. Now, this is where you get uncomfortable. We do this with a lot of youth groups because um, obviously youth are pretty tech savvy um, and they, uh, they get around this a bit more. But for some of you, uh, it might be a bit harder. But who has one of these? Yeah, all right, take them out. Grab your phones out. It's normally frowned upon in church, but grab your phone out. And I want you to think of one person in your life at the moment, a friend or a family member who's not a Christian, who doesn't know Christ. And we're going we're gonna to write out a message now. And this is where relational evangelism comes into it. Because we're not just going to start throwing the gospel in their face and scaring them away. But it's coming along as a friend saying, how are you going? What's going on? Do you want to know why I'm a Christian? Do you know what drives me to be a Christian? Do you know why I go to church every Sunday? And then that sparks a curiosity of, oh, yeah, right. Tell me a little bit more. And that's when you can bring the gospel into that conversation. God created us to be with him. Our sins separated us from God. Sin cannot be undone by good deeds. Paying the price of sin, Jesus died and rose again. Everyone who has trust in him and him alone will have eternal life. And life with Jesus starts now and it lasts forever. So let's write out these messages. I'm going to wait. And then as we write them out, we're going to stand up and we'll pray over them and then we'll send them. Get writing. So one friend, one family member, whatever you choose.
Cool. All right, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to send those messages. And uh, as we go out today, we're going to uh, obviously have a, some may uh, get snobbed, uh, some uh, will want to have the conversation. So let's just be uh, be uh, yeah praying over those people and pick three people in your life. I just held up four things. Pick three people in your life <laughs> and relentlessly pray for them. You will you will see change, and you need to come alongside them. It's, um, not just praying for them, but being a friend for them as well and letting Christ shine through you. God, we just uh, we thank you, Lord, um, for technology. And God, we just um, pray that we can go out and make disciple makers, Lord, that we'll be uh, sharing your gospel um, with the people who don't know it, Lord. And, and um, it'll be through your strength, though, Lord, and not our own. And God, we just pray over these messages as they go out to different people, Lord, that... Um, they, uh, they will be effective, Lord. We just pray that um, you'll be working in those people's lives, you'll be softening their hearts and uh, giving them a, a curiosity about you and a want to know you more, Lord. We just thank you for everyone here, and God, we just um, pray as we go out today, Lord, that you'll just be uh, keeping us safe as we travel and uh, whatever else we do, Lord. We thank you in your name. Amen.